Well, good morning again. Good morning. Oh, thank you, thank you, Dylan, for responding. <laughs> I'll just read the reading, and we'll get stuck in. Um, actually, I'll just say a couple things about this series. Um, we're starting a new series. Last semester, we preached through tough texts, through Old and New Testament tough texts, uh, to try to show how all of God's Word is life-giving and can be very life-giving in spite of the fact that on our first reading, some texts appear very difficult um, and we almost want to give up on them. This semester, we're preaching through the Gospel of Mark. So we've divvied up the 16 chapters of Mark over the 12 weeks. Obviously, people won't be preaching on a whole chapter uh, or even or two chapters some weeks because we will be here a very long time. This morning I'm just preaching on three verses, but we hope that you will get the flavor of what Mark is doing and what he is presenting, this good news that he's presenting as we preach through the gospel. Lots of different bits of good news about Jesus. So let me read this to you. Mark 1, 1 to 3. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Yeah, that's the NRSV. That's the version that we use here at the college. Well, I wonder if you've ever read one of Aesop's fable, fables. You know Aesop's fables? Maybe the one about the... Uh, well, what's your favorite? Hare and the tortoise, that's a good one, yes. The hare and the tortoise. Who's going to win this race? Fox and the stork. Fox and the stork, yes. There's also the fox and the grapes. I think he liked foxes. There's uh, the boy who cried wolf is the one that I seem to be told a lot as a kid. Um, maybe that says something about me. Or perhaps you've read some of Hans Christian Andersen's so-called fairy tales. The Princess and the Pea, which was an exceedingly uncomfortable Anyone remember any others? Hansel and Gretel. Hansel and Gretel, yeah. They all have a bit of a dark sort of flavour. Dancing shoes. Oh, both at once. I don't, I don't think I know the dancing shoes. The ugly duckling. Who isn't really a duckling at all. What? Sorry, spoiler alert. The em- Do you mind? I'm, I'm, I'm preaching. If you, if you are lucky enough to get invited then you can go ahead and talk. No, just kidding. One of my favorites is the emperor's new clothes. Not just because he walks around in the nude half the time, but it has a a powerful moral. See, the thing about a lot of these stories is you can hear them as kids, you can understand their surface meaning, but there's always more. There's something more going on underneath. They're quite deep and meaningful. If we can learn to read between the lines or look behind the story, however you want to picture that, there's more going on than at first appears. And I think a lot of people misunderstand the Gospel of Mark in this regard. Or maybe it's more accurate to say a lot of people miss what Mark is doing in his Gospel. Because it's short, we think it's simple. You know, Matthew and Luke have a lot more chapters, so they must be more complex. And John... Um, But Mark is 16 chapters. Uh, It seems that it was the basis from which Matthew and Luke then developed their Gospels. Um, And it seems that Mark is the simplest. 
We start people off. If you want to read a gospel, just start with Mark. But that's not the case. Mark is a very sophisticated gospel, and there's a lot going on just beneath the surface if we have eyes to see. In Mark 4, uh, Mark tells us that Jesus hardly ever speaks to the people without using a parable. And parables are complex. There's a funny sense in which parables reveal things and hide things at the same time, much like these stories that we were just talking about. And then it goes on to say that when Jesus spoke to his disciples, he explained everything. And I think it's fair to ask, shouldn't it be the other way around? Um, Shouldn't Jesus make things as clear as possible to those outside the kingdom so that they get what's happening and who Jesus is and what he's doing? Richard Hayes is probably my favorite New Testament scholar. He says of Mark, if you miss the intertextual connections, now intertext just means between texts. Um, So if you miss the intertextual connections with the Old Testament, so where Mark is alluding to or referring to the Old Testament, you end up with a diminished Christology. That is, you end up with a smaller, a lesser understanding of who Jesus is. If you miss the intertextual connections with the Old Testament, you end up with a diminished Christology. So I think it's fair to ask, why? What are you doing, Mark? Why are you writing your gospel like this? Why the mystery? Why all the hiddenness? Why not just tell it straight? I have a lot of conversations about the Bible with my wife, um, and she's never studied theology. Not yet. Uh, (laughs) I'm working on it. Hope she doesn't listen to this podcast. And um, we have a lot of great conversations. And actually, part of the reason I think they're great conversations is I've done lots of study of the Bible and sometimes need to be pulled back down out of the clouds. And Katie's questions just are really grounding, earthy questions. And one of the ones that we often talk about is, why didn't God just make this all a bit simpler? If the Bible is God's revelation to us of who he is, why is it so hard to read? (laughs) Many date nights have been spent on that one. So what is Mark up to? Why write like this? Is he hiding things from us? I see, looking around, that quite a few of you wear glasses, as I do when I'm not wearing contacts. Have you ever lost your glasses? It's frustrating, isn't it? Because you need your glasses to find your glasses, because you can't see. And so everything's a blur, and you're looking around, where are those glasses? But have you ever lost your glasses here? Have you? Yes. I hear, I hear at least one yes. I have. And it's even more frustrating because you're looking around for your glasses and it's not until you say to someone, I can't find my damn glasses, and they start laughing at you hysterically and you realise, ah, they're up top. Now, I don't do this because I'm not 70 years old um, and I don't tend to... Sorry. Oh, oh! Got him back. Hey, it's only fair. He said something about my bald head. It's only fair. No, the the reason I don't lose them up there anymore is because I can feel them now. I used to, I used to, there was a day when I had hair up there. But it's very frustrating because when your glasses are here, they're only three or four inches from where they need to be, right? But Mark's not hiding anything from us. 
he's actually putting it right in front of our faces, right in front of our noses. He's making something known. He's not hiding it from us. But his whole agenda with his gospel, this good news, is to say there's a secret about Jesus' identity. There's something that you will understand if you read carefully. You'll get it. You'll become an insider who knows what's going on. And the mystery, the question, is who is this guy? Who's Jesus? This guy who goes around healing people, forgiving people's sins, teaching with a profound wisdom. Who is this guy? Where did he come from? It's a huge question. And it's the question that Mark goes on to address in his gospel. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Paul, Principal Paul. It's like when someone gets married, they just have to throw that, you know, that phrase in at some point, don't they? On behalf of my wife and I. And then they pause. Anyway, um, you're thinking, Paul, I see what you're doing. You're setting us up for a semester of learning about the gospel by telling us that if we miss a single chapel service, we're going to miss the mystery of who Jesus is. Well, yes, that's true. But no, Mark's gospel doesn't read like the Da Vinci Code. Who here has read the Da Vinci Code? A couple of us. Where one clue leads to another clue, to another clue, to another clue, and either you get tired of this wild goose chase that just takes you all over the place, or you find yourself still reading at 3 a.m. because every chapter ends with a page turner, and you still don't know where this whole thing's going. No, Mark gives us the answer to our question in the first couple of verses, right up front. He says, here it is, right from the start, and you can read the whole gospel with this in mind. But not everyone will see it. It's right in front of our faces, but not everyone will see it. So what's this secret symbolic language? What's this Bible code that Mark is using, both to hide and to reveal? Well, you're probably not surprised to hear me say it's the language of Scripture. It's what we call the Old Testament. And no, I'm not turning a New Testament sermon into an Old Testament sermon. Though that is something I love doing. The question for you this morning is, how well do you know your Bible? If I was preaching, if I'd been asked to go and preach in a church, I'd feel a little bit guilty right now. And just so you know, it's not a great move if you're invited to go and preach somewhere to just launch into that one. How well do you know your Bible? Hmm? Huh? Because if you don't know everything that's going on, fail. F. Now, people don't like being asked that, but I'm in a Bible college and I wrote this sermon for you guys. Theological college, theological astute students who've all been studying with John this morning, I think most of you. Your class is about this size, right? Big class. So I don't feel guilty about asking you guys, how well do you know your Bibles? Because Scripture is the cryptic language that Mark uses both to hide and to reveal this mystery of Jesus' identity. So who is this guy? Who is Jesus? Let's take a look. Mark's opening verses, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see I'm sending, sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Now that's not in Isaiah. <laughs> that's in Malachi. So good one, Mark. 
And then verse 3, now we're at Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. It is weird that Mark says, as is written in the prophet Isaiah, and then his mind goes elsewhere, as John's does. Huh? It's, a new, it's a New Testament thing. He's, he's claiming innocence. But you know what? I, I think this just shows how entrenched Mark is in Scripture. He wants to say something about Jesus. He's just introduced Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ, as it is written. But then he thinks, hang on, John the Baptist comes first, telling us about Jesus, and he throws another verse in from Malachi that says, see, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. By the way, my messenger, Malak is the Hebrew word for messenger. My messenger, Malachi, Malachi. That's what Malachi means. So a bit of a wordplay here. I'm sending Malachi ahead of you, um, but <laughs> referring to John the Baptist, who will prepare the way, and he will go on to talk about John the Baptist. But then he gets back to Jesus. And let's take a look at what he says about Jesus. The verse that he quotes, the secret language that he's using, is from Isaiah 40, verse 3. But Mark isn't just grabbing something from the Old Testament because the words and the phrases are just right. You know, he just wants to quote something, so, oh, this will do, because it says the right kind of thing. When you're looking at the Old Testament, it's very important to understand, or the, the Old Testament's use in the New, that when there's a reference to the Old Testament, it's generally a good idea to go to the Old Testament and read around that context and import that whole context into the New. It's not just the words and phrases that are important. There's a lot more going on. The New Testament authors are quite thoughtful about this. And if they grab a phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then you go back and look at Psalm 22 and read the whole thing, you'll see that there's tons of stuff going on there that is relevant just to pick one example out of the blue. And I did pick that out of the blue. Let's ponder that a moment as I find my place in my notes. Yes, so Mark grabs at these phrases um, that say something similar but that have meaning in their, in their own context. Mark knows what he's doing. Very intelligent fellow. He has a master's in theology, most likely. Mark THM. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever come close to losing everything. Sorry, that's a huge jump in logic and makes no sense at all. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Edit. Um, Mark is doing something quite profound, something theologically creative. Um, because what we, what we know from reading the Old Testament or studying the Old Testament first is that we have come now to a climactic chapter, right, in the, in the biblical story. We've been reading through the Old Testament, if you were here last semester and did that uh, overview. And here, in just a couple of quick verses, Mark wants to say, I'm setting the scene. I'm going to paint a picture that draws on that whole Old Testament context. And so he quotes this well-known verse, in the hope that you and me, the reader, will follow him behind his words. So, let's follow Mark behind his words, or between the lines. When Mark refers to Isaiah 40, verse 3, if you've got your Bible with you, just turn to Isaiah 40. I'm just going to read you some verses from that chapter. Isaiah 40, and this is, I'm going to read the first five verses. 
And have a listen to these verses, even if you don't have a Bible with you, and listen to what Mark is doing. It says here, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places are plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Those verses come from what is often called Second Isaiah, when Isaiah is speaking to a people in exile. And those of you who did do Old Testament last semester will remember that when Israel went into exile, they lost everything, absolutely everything. The kingdom that God was trying to establish had been destroyed. Jerusalem's destroyed. They've lost their leadership, their kings. They're all dead. The law is gone. Their people are scattered and fragmented and most of them dead as well. So their sense of identity is crushed. It's gone. And I don't know whether you have ever come close to losing everything. I don't know. But when you have nothing, when you've lost everything and you feel exiled, the way is prepared for Yahweh to come and bring you comfort. When you're displaced, that's what it means to be in exile. Displaced, broken, shattered, Exiled, outcast, misunderstood, lonely, ignored, ostracized. That is when you will hear a voice saying, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And who is the Lord? In Isaiah 40 verse 3, it's the Lord, capital, capital <coughs> L-O-R-D, which is a reference to Yahweh. That's how our translations translate Yahweh. Now there are patterns in scripture, as you know, and there are patterns in our lives, as you would know. And often the patterns in scripture match the patterns in our lives. This is why scripture continues to speak to us today. God's living word. And one of those biblical life patterns is that when you are completely down and out, when you are in exile, when you're lost, when you're alone, when you're ostracized, when you're at the end of your rope, that is when Yahweh comes to you. Those huge mountains that lie in your path, he will flatten them. Those deep, dark valleys that are so difficult to get through, all your worst fears realized, he will raise them. And those, that uneven ground that makes it impossible for you to move forward is leveled out. And the glory of the Lord is revealed. It's in those moments that God is almost tangible. I can still remember a moment in my life of absolute darkness. And I almost could feel like God was in the room with me physically. It was an incredible moment, both of despair and hope. And so there's two things going on here. Two things. Perhaps the most obvious is that Mark is using this verse 
to introduce Jesus by making a massive claim about the mystery of Jesus' identity. Do you see it? Prepare the way of Yahweh. If you know Isaiah 40 verse 3 when you read this, you know that Jesus has just been introduced as the physical embodiment of the God of Israel. That is huge. Jesus Christ is the physical embodiment of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And he has come to live among us. Kapow. Boom. Wow. Whatever caps lock word you prefer. And with that said, in verse 3, right up front, we're all set to get into Mark's gospel. An account of Jesus' life that will make known, that will continue to reveal and unveil the God of Israel and the church. But the second thing that's going on here that Mark is making known is he's overlaying two stories with each other. So he's taking the history of Israel and this moment of exile and despair, and he's overlaying that now with the story of Jesus. Do you see what's going on? When Israel was in exile, the words of the prophet brought comfort. Comfort, O oh comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Every valley shall be lifted up and mountain made low. He brought those words of comfort in exile. And just like the Exodus, when God brought his people out of Egypt, out of darkness, out of slavery, the exile was a time of scattering too, of despair, of disintegration and displacement and loss. And I don't know about you, because we, we, we all learn to hide things. We learn to play games, don't we? I know I have over time. And even now, as you sit here in chapel, it's sometimes easy to sing the songs, to listen to the words of Scripture, and to feel that you are fragmented. You don't have it all together. Or that you don't belong here for some reason or other. Or that the loss a loss you've experienced is too great for you to ever get used to and come to terms with. If you do know what any of those things feel like, then you know why these words are so wonderful. Because they're written for you. This gospel is for you. Mark wants you to know from the very beginning that this good news is for you. However you're beginning this semester, whatever your frame of mind, however crusty you might feel that your heart is, I want you to hear the mystery of who Jesus is. A voice cries out. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain made low. The uneven ground shall be made level and the rough place will become a plain. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you, worship you in this time for who you are, for what we understand at least of who you are. 
I thank you that you are always preparing a way to come into our lives. Um, and I just pray against the comfort and the complacency that we get so used to. Help us to acknowledge that pain and difficulty is part of life. It's not something we should be trying to avoid or get away from, but learning to find our way through with you beside us. I pray you would walk with us, and we thank you that you will walk with us this semester through personal growth, through the expansion of our minds in different directions, and through the relationships that we cultivate here. Come, Lord, and have your way in us. Amen.